Tonight is the last night that we're doing our series, Living as God Intended, Knowing, Applying the Gospel in Our Lives, and I am excited. Is it frozen? Awesome. I'm excited um, because tonight is going to be kind of a a unique night, whereas, sorry, we're trying to switch computers. You're good to switch over. Um, tonight is going to be a little bit different as we're going to be um, doing a lot more hands-on as we have uh, set up in our tables. Um, it's kind of be more kind of like the first night that we were doing this series. And so uh, we just ask that you would engage well, excuse me, engage with the content that Dave has for us tonight. Um, and as we do exercises, engage well, give responses um, when asked and then tonight, afterwards, we're uh, going to take some of the questions. Uh, we're not going to be able to get through all the questions that you asked, but we picked and highlighted some of the questions that you guys submitted from last week. And um, we're, Dave's going to do uh, his best um, to answer some of those questions tonight to hopefully help us understand uh, a little bit deeper and better and clearer of, uh, one, what is the gospel, why we need it, and how do we live out the gospel in our daily lives, how do we uh, share it with others, and how do we live on mission. And so with that, Dave, all you. So, all right, it's uh, good to be with you again last time, and uh, looking forward to tonight. It's an opportunity for us to kind of do some hands-on and then answer some questions that you might have. And just so you know, I'm always available if you ever need to, like, hey, what do you mean by this? Help me understand this. What does this look like? Because I know I've given you guys and girls a lot of information. Um, But before we do get into that, just a quick review. We have talked about the power and the purpose of the gospel. Okay, so we talked about the power of the gospel We have been saved from the, raise your hand, who remembers three things, three key things about the gospel. Victoria, nah, that's not the first one, that's close. We have been saved from the, raise your hand, Sam, the penalty of sin. Come on up and when Uncle Bob's reopens, you get a free scoop from Uncle Bob's, okay? All right, what is the second one? Victoria, you should raise your hand. (laughs) Yes, Victoria. Okay, we are being saved from the power of sin. Come on up, grab your Uncle Bob ticket. Good, and the third one is, we will be saved from the, young lady right there, from the devil? Nope. Did you have your hand up, Nathan? Yes, the presence of sin, very good. Yeesh, excellent, very good. Okay, okay, and so those three really important things have been taking place. Okay, have taken place, are taking place, and will take place. And then uh, last week we talked about the purpose of the gospel, right? And the purpose of the gospel. Someone give me a, a summary of what is the purpose of the gospel. What is our purpose? You had a chance to talk about this last week. 
Yes. Show God in everything we do. Yeah, I'll take that as an answer. Good. What else? Max. Okay, to share how we can be saved from our sin. Come on up. Come on up, Max. I'm looking for some really, really, really specific, though. Can anybody tell me? Yes. Not the four G's. Good guess, though. Yes. Make disciples. Very good, Bella. We are to make disciples who make disciples. Very good. Okay. And so a lot of it, you guys have asked in these questions, and we'll get to those tonight. Some of you, all these questions that you guys sent uh, or gave to Pastor Kent are really, really good questions. Very insightful. We'll get to many of them this evening. But our purpose is to make disciples who make disciples. And that entails us speaking the gospel, okay? The gospel isn't just something that is a past thing for us. It is a past reality, but it's also a very present reality. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says the gospel in which you have been saved, in which you are being saved and will be saved, okay? So it's important that we are what we call gospel fluent, right? Because we live in a world where there are so many people telling you so many answers, right? Okay? There was an old skit on Saturday Night Live uh, years ago with Al Franken. His name was called Stuart Smalley. I don't know if any of you remember Stuart Smalley. You younger kids won't, but any of the adults. One of the things that Stuart Smalley would always say is, he'd look in the mirror and he'd say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Right? We live in the world where you are told, believe this, do this, act this way, look this way. When the Lord tells us that the answers are found completely in Christ Jesus through the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's not about pumping up your self-esteem. Right? What's the problem with that phrase? Self-esteem. What's, what's the incorrect word in that phrase, Max? Self. Right? Like, somehow I've got to pump myself up. Somehow I've got to lift myself up. Somehow I've got to, like, make myself look better. Right? Self-esteem is not a biblical term. Just so you know right? In fact, if you think about self-esteem, and you may disagree with me on this, and that's okay, but self-esteem is actually very selfish. Think about it, that I have to somehow pump myself up, lift myself up, make myself something, when in Scripture it completely tells me there is one person who makes me who I am, and that person is who? It's Christ. It's Jesus. And so the, the minute that I keep thinking about myself and somehow I've got to pump myself up and I've got to like, right? No, we want to speak the gospel in every situation. Timothy Keller says it this way, okay? All sin is a result of unbelief. We see that even in John chapter 16. A particular unbelief in God and in particular unbelief in Jesus Christ. And it started all the way back in the garden. We talked about that earlier. Satan comes up to Adam and Eve and he says, did God really say? Causing them to doubt God's word and God's goodness. 
Okay? And so what we want to do is we want to create a culture where it's normal to speak the gospel to each other. As Kent and I have gotten to know each other over the last year, what I love about Kent is that if Kent asks me a question, he doesn't just let me stay there. He continues to probe deeper. And he continues to ask questions that get to what is really the heart issue in my own life. I was sharing with him one day about just a situation that I was dealing with with my wife. And, and just we were disagreeing on something and I was upset with her and all that. And Kent's not like sitting there going, oh, that's okay, I'll pray for you. God, God's good. No, Kent was asking me questions that helped me to deal with what is the heart issue that's causing me to sin towards my wife? What is the unbelief that I'm living in in that moment that's causing me to not honor Christ and how I speak to my wife and how I act to my wife and how I treat my wife? That's gospel fluency. He's giving me Jesus. Ephesians 4 says, right, we are to speak the truth in love to one another. Now that doesn't mean that I walk up to Eli and I'm like, hey man, I, I'm going to speak the truth in love to you, but your breath really smells, bro. Right? You know, Max, I've been sitting next to you and boy, you've got some serious B.O., bro. And, and you know what, I'm, I'm just speaking the truth in love. That's not what he's talking about. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about in verse 21 that you speak Jesus to each other. That's speaking the truth in love. Jesus. Okay? Not like, hey, I just got to get this off my chest and be honest with you. Okay? That's not speaking the truth in love. What speaking the truth in love is I give them Jesus. And it has to come from an overflow of my own heart. And if you don't know the gospel out of the overflow of your own life, you will not speak it. That's why it's important that we know the gospel and know what the gospel produces in us, what the gospel does uh, to us. Not what we do for the gospel, but what the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, what that does for me. And so tonight, what I want to do, I was going to do this exercise, but I think Jeff does a great job with it, so I'm going to let him do it. But this is an exercise that he did. It's called Fruit to Root Exercise. You have several things in front of you. One is called the Gospel Fluency Cheat Sheet. Okay? It explains to you in, in greater detail gospel fluency. And it gets deeper into the fruit to root exercise. Okay? And then there's a half sheet that, that gives you an illustration of the fruit to root. And then there's a worksheet that allows you to work through. And if we have time tonight for you guys to be able to go into your groups after we answer questions and maybe practice with one another. Okay, so I'm going to let Jeff, okay, disconnected, my, okay, all right, so he's going to explain it, take good notes, I'll just kind of summarize it after, we'll go from there. That already took place before the behavior, so we've got to get to the worship, okay, now this is what it looks like, uh, I, I told you I was going to use kind of the, a, kind of a tree diagram, so, or a root to, root to fruit kind of thing, so I'm not a very good artist, you'll just have to forgive me for that. But uh, let's just imagine there's a bunch of fruit on the tree. And we want the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Um, we want the fruit of righteousness, which is love for God and love for one another as yourself. See, that's what we want to see in, in real action. That's contrary to that, what you want to do 
is you want to realize that you have to trace the fruit to the root. To walk through this with people. There's this question of who is God. And at, at the very root, we have an image or a picture of who God is that's directing our life. Okay? And if it's not who God is as revealed in Jesus Christ, you're worshiping a false God. So, Because he is the, the image of the invisible God. He is deity in flesh. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus says. So, so that we want to move from who is God to revealed as what he... Through revealed by what he's done. So what he's done reveals who he is. And we always know that about God. God is completely holy, completely integrous. Every act is an action coming out of a character who, of who God is. Okay? So who is God? What has he done? And then this is where who am I? Who are we? Every of these. Okay, and I'll, I'll show you this in Genesis 1 and 2. Maybe. flows out of my belief of who God is, what he Hold on one second here. Give it a chance to... ...and who I am. That's how it always works. And uh, just as a side here, the world... But, yeah, my I, ...leads I, to I, my I, being. Okay, it's absolutely backwards. Okay, you ever met somebody and they're like, Hi, my name's Jeff. We'll do this together. Hi, I'm Jeff. Dan. Dan, good to meet you. What do we usually say next? Uh, how are you? How are you? Well, yeah, that's good. Thanks for asking. I'm doing well. Let's keep going. Um, how's your day today? It's great. See, you're, you're a godly man. I'm so thankful that you care about me. Okay? That's typically what we do. Hi, I'm Jeff. You're... Dan. Dan, what do you no, do, Dan? I... Keep talking about what do you do, what do you do, largely define is based upon what he does. But what if we said, Hi, Dan, I'm Jeff. Good to meet you, Jeff. Who are you? I'm the son of God. There you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> okay, what if we change the language and stop saying what do you do to who you are? Who are hi, I'm Jeff. Who are you? I'm Dan. Dan, who are you? See, doing as the identification of who I am. Why? Because in the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, God starts saying, you are made in my image. Well, he gives us our identification, and we're supposed to live our life in light of that. What does the serpent come along and do? God knows that when you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like him. Wait a minute, I thought I already was made like him. And Adam and Eve forgot that they were already made in the likeness of God. They didn't need to do anything to become anything. God had already done everything to make them everything he wanted them to be. Now they were just operating out of who they were. And everything they did at that point was an expression of their faith in God and who they were. That's why be fruitful multiplies the command. Why? If we trace it back into the fruit to root and ask those four questions, in the very beginning in Genesis 1, who is God? He's the creator. How do we know that? Because he's what he's done. He has created because he is creator. Who are we? Adam and Eve, who are they? They're created. They are the created beings, created in the image of God. Okay, they're created by the image, by the creator, 
They bear his image, and what does God call them to do? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Does God go, hey, you know what? I made you, and you know what? If you, if you do this, if you are fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, then you'll become like me. You'll be like, like the creator. Because now that you've created, you've now made yourself into something. No, he goes, you are this, therefore do it. In other words, do what you are. The world says, you are by what you do. You are something because of what you've done. God says, no, you do something because of who you are. It's just the opposite. And the trick of the evil one over and over and over again is to flip this around on you. Is to say, your behavior determines your identity. Your identity then gets to tell the world who God is around here and what God is like. And that's just the evil one flipping it upside down. So now what you want to do is you want to ask the question, when you see fruit up here, what we're doing, it does reveal, though, what we believe. You need to know that. So I'll just give you an example. My wife um, has struggled with anxiety and fear. Okay? So she, she has that, that challenge, that struggle. Um, she so really take the time to listen how he walks through this with his wife. Now, he's only going to do this for us in 10, 15 minutes, maybe at best. It took several hours for him to do this with his wife. Okay? So he does a great job of walking through fruit to root he, with her. One day we were sitting down because it was re really becoming a slave. not experiencing freedom in Christ and being free from fear and anxiety. Now, I, just so I say it and it's clear, I don't think anxiety itself is a bad thing. I think it's God's gracious gift to reveal something else that's wrong. Just like I'm glad I get a temperature when I'm sick. The temperature isn't the bad thing. It's actually my body working telling me it's fighting something off. Clue in something's unhealthy in you, Jeff. Anxiety is a good cue that God's given us to show that something is wrong. So I'm not sure if you're feeling anxious, go like, I'm not going, shame on you. What's wrong with you? I am saying, however, though, do you know you're worshiping? Are you aware of what your anxiety is telling you? There is something wrong. Anxiety is not the thing that's wrong. It's what's going on that's leading to the anxiety. And so with her, I said, I sat down with her. I said, babe, I want to just ask you the question. Right now, who do you believe you are? And I, in fact, I'm going to use a different sheet of paper just to make sure I have enough room. So, who is God? What I do? Who am I? And what he's done. So, she's experiencing anxiety. I said, what do you believe about yourself right now? What do you think she said? Good. I'm in control. I said, so why are you anxious? I'm not in control. <laughs> That's what she said. Isn't that a great I question? I said, so you... Why are you anxious? If you're in complete control, why are you anxious? <laughs> right? It's like, actually, I'm not in control. I realize that I'm not in control. I actually believe... You believe you... Good cue to show that something is wrong. I said, what do you believe about said. She said, I believe I'm in control. I'm in control. I said, so why are you anxious? I'm not in control. 
That's what she said. I said, so you actually believe, let's be clear, you believe you should be in control of the world. So, well, if you put it that way, that sounds pretty bad. But that's what you believe right now. That's what you believe about yourself. I am in control. I should be in control. I'm not in control. I said, well, what do you believe about what God's done that would lead to your sense of anxiety? She said, I believe he's abandoned me. I love my wife because she is super, super honest. She doesn't straightforward. I said, anything else that you believe? He lost control and power. Okay, so I'm going to walk through this with you since we're in and out. So I'll try to continue with him. See if I can get on airplay here. Okay, so so just to give you, she's struggling with anxiety, okay? What she's really believing about herself is that she's in control, and then she realizes, you know what, I'm not in control. And so then what he does is he walks her back, and he says, what do you believe about what God has done? And honestly, she says, I believe that God has abandoned me. Like God has let me go. And that he stopped loving me, Right? And that he's lost control, that he's lost power. Okay? That's being really, really, really honest about where you're at. Okay? So then if 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 she was if he was to probe her further, okay, let me get rid of that. <laughs> okay, we'll go whiteboard here. Okay, so he's got the tree. Okay. You like that? I'm not an artist. Okay? Okay, so she's struggling with anxiety, which means she believes that she's not in control. Okay? Which means, leads her to believe that God has abandoned her. Abandoned. Doesn't love her. Stop loving me. And that he's lost control. Okay? So then you would want to take that person to, okay, what are you really believing about God? Okay? When I believe that God has abandoned me, what would, what would, what would that be describing my view of God? Negligent? So God is negligent. What else? Absent. Okay, good. Yep. God doesn't care. Okay, that he's an unloving, uncaring God. Okay. Yeah, right? Okay. So he's not the greater. Good. Okay. What would it what would it say about God if it says that God doesn't love me? <laughs> what would I believe about God? Hateful. Okay. Okay. 
What else? Yes. Say it again. Judgmental. Okay. Yes. Mean. God's mean. Okay. Okay. He's not faithful. Okay. He's unfaithful. Okay. And then what would it be? Uh, what would it be a description of God if it says that He lost control? Yes, Bella. Unstable. Oh, good word. Okay, desperate. And desperate in what way? Help me understand that. Say it again. To gain control again. Okay, desperate to gain control, like he somehow lost control. He's got to figure out how to get it back. Is that where you're going? Good. What else? Yes. Chaotic. Ooh, I like that. Okay. Anything else? Yes. Disconnected. Ooh, good. Good words. Okay. Yes. Okay. So he's being controlled, being controlled by something else. Okay, great descriptors. My writing's not great tonight, sorry. Okay, so what Jeff came down with with his wife is he came down to these three words. She believed that God was absent, believed that God was unloving, and that God was impotent. You know what impotent means? What's that? Anybody know what impotent means? Incapable, powerless, right? Okay, so those were the three words that they came down with, like, this is what I'm believing about God in this moment, that he's absent. I disconnected again. What is going on with Apple? Man. Am I good? Am I back? Okay. That he's absent, he's unloving, and he's impotent. Okay. Now, here's the beauty about the gospel, is that we take them through what is true, okay? So if what is true about who God is, okay, how do we know, okay, that God is loving in Scripture? Tell me the truth about God's love. Yes, Victoria. Okay, so God demonstrates his love towards Job by, right, helping Job through the trial, right? And God in his grace blessed Job, right? Good, what else? Yes, where did God demonstrate his absolute love? At the cross, right? Any time that we doubt God's love to think that we deserved death, we deserved God's wrath, we deserved condemnation, and God demonstrated his love by sending his one and only son 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right? Now we're getting to understanding who God is by what he has done, right? And he demonstrated his love for us by going to the cross. We talked about it in the other sessions that we deserved wrath, right? You weren't just opposed to God. You were an enemy to God. And I was listening to a message this week from another pastor, and he was talking about, and it really hit home, like, if you're not a a child of God and you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, God is opposed to you. Think about that. Okay? He's not just up there indifferent to you. He is opposed to you. You are his enemy. Okay? Right? How did God demonstrate that he is all-powerful? Right? That he is not impotent but he is potent yes he rose from the dead there you go and we take people to the scriptures and we say but christ rose from the dead if there was any moment in history where people would think that god is not in control they would think it would be where at the cross right Remember the centurion is sitting there and he's like, hey, if you are the son of God, all right, or the people that are sitting there like, if you are the son of God, come down from that cross, save yourself. Right? If there was any moment in history that we would think, boy, God isn't all powerful, we would think it's the cross, but it's not because in three days he rose again in victory over sin and death. And we take people to the truth of that. And we've talked about that in, in terms of the gospel and how that impacts how I live today in Christ Jesus when it comes to sin in my life. Jesus didn't just die to save you from the penalty of sin. He died so that you are being saved from the what? Power of sin. Okay? When you're faced with temptation, when you're faced with living in unbelief, when I'm faced with Doubting God's goodness and his power, I go back to the truth of what he has accomplished through his son, Christ Jesus. Okay? What is the third area in which, if she's believing that God is absent, how do we know that God is not absent? Emmanuel, good. We celebrate Christmas that God has come to us, and then Jesus came and lived a perfect life. Right? There you go. The Holy Spirit. Okay? It's supposed to be a dove, but not a very good dove. But the Spirit of God comes and indwells in His children. We've talked about that a lot, right? The Spirit of God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in you. And what does the Spirit do? Help me understand. What does the Holy Spirit do? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Yes, Victoria. Okay. So the Spirit convicts you, right? What else does the Spirit do? Yes. Okay. He's the one that draws you to Christ. Yep, good. What else? Yes. He what? How? How does he guide me? 
Okay? And where do I get my answers? What does the Holy Spirit do? Does he just pull stuff out of thin air? Speaks to us through what? God's Word. Right? I was, I was telling someone this week, as I'm sitting there reading the Bible, I'm thinking, if someone is not a believer and they're reading the Scriptures, I, I, I think, what do they must be thinking? What, are, what must be going through their mind? The Holy Spirit guides us in God's Word and helps us to understand the Word of God and how it needs to apply to my life. So all these things that she's struggling with, God being absent, God being unloving, God being impotent, he takes her through and shows her that, no, God loves us, that he would send his one and only son to die for us. God is all-powerful because he conquered sin and death by rising again from the grave. And God is uh, not absent. He indwells his children through his Holy Spirit every single day. So then what does it say about who I am? If God loved me by sending his one and only son and my faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, who am I? Mac, loved, but what does that mean? Worthy of that sacrifice? Yep. What else? What else? I'm a child of God. Right? I am adopted into his family. Right? And you can take someone to Luke 15, right? The story of the prodigal son. And you can show them that here is this guy that went and squandered all of his father's wealth, didn't deserve his father's wealth. And if you understand the culture of the day, back in the day, fathers didn't run out to meet their children. But it says in the scripture that the father was looking off for the son and he saw the son in the distance and the father goes sprinting out to the son and he says to the son, you've come home. And the son's like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I Just hire me to be a slave. And the father says, no, you are my son. And I'm putting on you the robe of righteousness and the ring and we're going to have a party in the fattened calf. Right? You are adopted into the family of God. You're giving everything that you need for life and godliness. Okay? It's not like God is up in heaven just holding out some carrot on a string and Asher has to figure out the rest of his life. And he's not like, hey, whoa, 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 psych, right? God says, no, I've given you everything you need. Okay? So you are dearly loved. You have the Spirit of God living in you to help you understand the scriptures, to, to help you conquer sin in your life, to help you remember the promises of God, to help you be bold and to, and to have courage in moments when those are difficult. Okay? And that God is all-powerful in conquering sin and death so that when you're faced with the temptation, when you go home tonight and your brother and sister is absolutely bugging you and you want to lose your temper, and just go off on your brother and sister that you know what, you don't have to. Okay? That you are loved, you are a conqueror, and so now I can live a life of obedience because of these truths about who God is and what He's done. So what you do is you work through what is the fruit of my life right now? What do you see in my life? 
What am I believing wrongly about myself? What am I believing wrongly about what God has done for me? What am I believing wrongly about who God is? And then take people through and show them what is the truth. And in Scripture, demonstrate where God has shown His love, where God has shown His power, where God has demonstrated that he, His presence with His people. I love the story of Joseph, right? Here you have Joseph who did the right thing, right? Potiphar's wife is like grabbing at him and she's like trying to seduce him and he keeps saying no and he keeps saying no and he keeps saying no, right? And we live in this fairy tale age where we're thinking, oh yeah, everything was great for Joseph. What happened to Joseph? Well, he got sold into slavery, okay? He gets thrown into prison for doing the right thing. Think about that. Okay? Joseph keeps saying no, keeps saying no, keeps saying no. Potiphar's wife comes in. She's going to go after him. He runs away from her. She grabs his garment. She lies about it to Potiphar. He is angry and he sends Joseph to jail because Joseph did the right thing. And you know what I love about that passage of Scripture is because there's this line in there that says, the Lord was with Joseph. And how many years was Joseph in prison for? 14 years he was in jail. Remember the baker and the wine taster? Hey, tell, tell Pharaoh, or tell, uh, yeah, Pharaoh, I think it was Pharaoh, right? Tell Pharaoh that I'm in jail. And it says they did what? forgot the lord was with joseph okay so this is a great exercise for you to work through as a youth group when you're sitting at the lunch table your friend looks at you right and their their boyfriends broke up with them and they're devastated and right and they're just like i just can't go on anymore i just lost the love of my life right and you don't look at them and go, oh, you poor thing, I'll pray for you. It's good to pray for them. But you can walk them through the gospel and say, but wait a second here. Maybe you're not believing rightly about who God is and what he's provided for you. Okay, so this is a good exercise to help you to be able to say, what is the bad fruit in my life and where is the fruit that needs to be changed into the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So there's a sheet there that I gave to you that has the bubbles. Hold it up, Asher, nice and high. Okay? So this is something that if you have time in your group tonight that you want to work through, that you can do that. What is the fruit that I'm experiencing? Right? And you, and you identify those, and then you flip it over, and you go through what is true about God. Okay? And hopefully in the months to come that you guys will have moments in your, in your small groups that you guys can practice these things. When someone comes to you and says, man, I'm just really struggling right now, where you guys as a youth group can say, hey, let's, 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 let's work through the fruit to root. Let's see what is, where is the area of unbelief that you're struggling with. Okay? Any questions on that? Nope? Okay. So... We're going to go through a few questions. So Kent's going to come up here because I want him to help as well uh, with questions. Um, let me erase this because I might draw some other things on there.
one second here. Any questions on that? Okay. So, great questions. First question that I want to address is, how do you live on mission? Okay, how do you live on mission? Right? Who asked that question, by the way? Anybody? Nice, Victoria. How do you live on mission? Okay, a uh, few things that would be super helpful to think through. The first one is this. Okay, and I'm going to change my color here. The first one is, how do I live on mission? is prayer, okay? Be praying like, Lord, who do you want me to be on mission to, okay? Because here's the thing. You can walk out the doors of your house and there's like a thousand things to be on mission to, right? People have needs everywhere, okay? And I don't want to look at somebody and be like, I'm sorry, I'm not on mission to you. I can't help you, right? But, I believe that there is this place of like, Lord, show me. In fact, even at our church family, we encourage right now with our community groups, we encourage each person to I ask the Holy Spirit to help them identify one person that they can be on mission to. Okay, And what that means is that's an unbeliever. Someone who is not a Christian. Okay, Lord, who can I give my time, my talent, my money, my resources, um, who can I give that to? And so to be prayerful about that. That's number one, okay? The second one is proximity, okay? What does that mean? What's that? Area? Explain that more, though, Mary. Yep. So for you, it could be El Paso area, close to that. Yep. Good. What else? How about you guys as students, though? Who are natural people that you come in contact with every day? Mac. People at school. Right? You have a tremendous mission field because you have hundreds of students within your, within your immediate proximity your sphere of influence, okay? Now, for someone like Mary, it might be a little bit different, right? She lives in El Paso. She's part of a church family here, but it could be coworkers. It could be uh, she works at a home for uh, troubled people, right? And it could be one of those people, right? You guys have a tremendous opportunity right now to live in proximity to a, a large group of people, Okay? Caterpillar, right? Kyle's got tons of people around him. Okay? Proximity, being close proximity to people that they can see how Jesus affects the details of your everyday life. Okay? And proximity requires for us to pursue relationship with not yet believers. Okay? That's number three. You want to add anything to that, Kent? Yeah. Um, you have your Bibles with you. Go to Acts chapter 18 real quick. Because we're not just pulling these ideas out of our heads and out of thin air. Yep. Like these are grounded in God's word and grounded in scripture. So go to Acts chapter 18, verse 1. And we're going to see something really, really cool that reiterates what Dave just said. 
And while you get to Acts 18, um, someone tell me, who was who the Apostle Paul? What did the Apostle Paul do? What were some of the things that Paul's known for? Landon. His letters, right? He wrote a lot of letters. He wrote the majority of the New Testament. Max? Yeah, missionary to the Gentiles, founded a lot of different churches in whom they, he wrote letters to. Yeah. Yep, went on multiple missionary trips. Okay. All you guys at Acts chapter 18. I'm going to read just the first four verses. Okay, that's all I want to read. Acts 18, verses 1 through 4. After this, he, he being Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and now this is key, verses 3 and 4 are the key verses. And since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Where do you see Paul's proximity? Tent makers. So he was a tent maker by trade. That was his job that he did to support himself while he was on mission. That was what he did for work. He made tents. I know, sounds glamorous, but that's what he did. That's what God gifted him to do. Um, And so that was part of his proximity. Yes. Where else did you see Paul interacting with people? His proximity. Synagogue. What? What's the synagogue? Nathan? Yeah, it's where Jews gather to worship. Sure. So you have two different proximities. You have his work and where uh, a lot of people went to go worship God. And in both places, you see him talking to people that he doesn't previously know. You see him sharing the gospel. Priscilla and Aquila who he meets while making tents, end up going to have an incredible ministry of their own that you see throughout the New Testament. Um, and, and it's just really, really cool to see Paul doing what he's doing, whether it's work or worship. And while he's in those spaces, he talks to people. He shares Jesus with people. So when Dave's talking about school, like what, what this passage is really, um, what Paul illustrates well for us is your proximity is wherever God has you and who he has crossing your path with you at this moment. So there's tonight, right now, in this moment, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. So right now, in this moment, your proximity is the students that are sitting right next to you. You have no idea what the student sitting next to you is going through, where they're struggling at at home or in school or with friends or with family. You have no idea. And you have an opportunity to cross paths with them to share the gospel, encourage them with the love that God has for them. When you go to school tomorrow, if God grants you the ability to wake up, go to school tomorrow, to live another day, guess what? Your proximity is those who you encounter in your daily life. Paul, being a tent maker, encountered people, shared the gospel. You, as a student, encounter hundreds of students. There's, what, 500 students at Eureka High School? There's... How many students, I'm trying to think of other, yeah, three, 300, something like that at the middle school. Roanoke, probably 300 as well, middle school. You have hundreds of people that you encounter on a daily basis if you go to a public school system. If you're homeschooled, you have your family that you encounter on a daily basis. And people are broken, sinful, 
They need encouragement. They need to be pointed back to Jesus. Every one of us needs that in our everyday lives. So whether we're public school, homeschooled, none of us are excluded from that. Paul shows us, wherever you go, whatever God has given you as that task. So for students, it's going to school. Maybe you have a job. You're going to work. Or whether you're here at, at Hype or church Sunday morning, wherever you go, you have an opportunity to share Jesus, to encourage one another with God's word. And so that is your proximity. Whoever God has in front of you right now in this moment and, and who he has crossing paths with you during your work, school, and just your daily rhythms of life. And so that leads to three, four, and five, which the third one is a compelling lifestyle. Okay, we talked about this a lot last week in terms of what is the purpose of the gospel is so that we can be a foretaste of what is to come. Okay, Not just to do a bunch of things because Pastor Kent tells you to do a bunch of things just because that's what we're supposed to do to earn God's favor. No, we live this way because of what God has done in us and what he's doing through us. So a compelling lifestyle is a lifestyle that says, I'm going to live differently. It's going to cause people to ask questions like, hey, wait a second here. Why do you respond that way when you miss a kick in soccer? Right? Some guys go off and they're cussing and upset and all this kind of stuff and Max misses the net, right? Or maybe Asher doesn't get his best time in cross country, right? And everybody else is frustrated and angry and Asher comes walking off the cross country course with a big smile on his face and it's like, well, what's wrong with you, man? You, did, you didn't have your best time. And, and Asher could be like, look, I run because I want, as, as, as it says in Chariots of Fire, to feel God's pleasure. It's a gift to be able to go out and to use the body that God has given me. And I want to give praise to God whether I do great or whether I don't do great. Right? So a compelling lifestyle is a lifestyle that shows people right, that it, it, it's a beautiful picture of, of the gospel. Then we demonstrate that. Again, we've talked about that a little bit, so we won't spend a lot of time. But the fifth one, right? Well, I'm sorry, compelling lifestyle. Let me go back to the Scripture. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to you. Is that what a compelling lifestyle is all about? No, it says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right? I th I'm pretty sure Pastor Kent's probably shared this with you, but the chief end of man is to glorify God and to what? Enjoy Him forever. Okay? I know Pastor Kent has said that to you. Okay? And then the last one is proclamation. Right? Uh, there was a, a phrase that was around. It was attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, but it's actually not him that said it. But they, the phrase was, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. That's, only, that, that, that's really a false statement. You have to proclaim the gospel. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says, How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Right Now that's not just preaching on a Sunday morning. 
right? That's not for you to be like, well, I got to get my friends to come to church, right? No, what it means is, is you bring the church to them, that you proclaim the gospel to them. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Okay? So we have to proclaim the good news. We have to be able to share with people, we've been saved from the penalty of sin, we're being saved from the power of sin, and someday we will be saved from the presence of sin. Okay? So, how do you live on mission? Prayer, proximity, compelling lifestyle, demonstration, proclamation. Okay? Anything you want to add? Okay. Next question. How do I be a light of Christ to people who say that they are Christians, but they don't act like it? Ooh, that's good. Okay? I think one is what we just worked through tonight is fruit to root. I think that's important because um, it helps people to get to what is the heart issue behind the unbelief. I've had people do this in my own life where, I'll give you an example. So one night in one of our former churches, uh, we had a couple that just showed up at our doorstep. They were out for a walk. They came over and they were going to just visit with us. Well, that night I was really short with my wife. Really short. And, right, I'm, I am called to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Next day I get an email from this brother that came over to the house and he said, hey, he said, I just want to ask you a question. He goes, I just want to ask you, where are you living in unbelief of Jesus? Because I noticed last night the way you were talking to your wife. Ow. Right? Now, he didn't come to my house with a Bible and be like, you call yourself a Christian? Wham, 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 wham. That's not what he did. Right? He came to me and he said, I want to help you to identify where you're living in unbelief because the fruit of what I saw last night was not belief. That makes sense? And it was such a great way of him coming to me, not bashing me over, but saying, let's get to what is the root issue of that. Okay? And so that was helpful for me, like, and that's helpful for each other when we see someone not living that way, to be able to ask them the question, hey, you know, this is what the gospel has done to us and what the gospel has done uh, for us and what the gospel is doing for us. So let's, let's talk about that. And I just want to add one thing, because some of you are sitting there like, Pastor Wolf, that's, that's easier said than done. You know, what if the student that I'm thinking of that um, is acting in a sinful way that, you know, I, I know they're not acting in a God-honoring way, but they're calling themselves Christians and they're really defaming Christ because they're not acting like what they're proclaiming. And I know how this person is, and if I go say something to them, you know, what if they make fun of me? Or what if they don't listen? Or what if they don't think it's that big of a deal? Right? Is that a natural thought maybe some of you have? I know when I was in middle school, I was fearful of calling out somebody who was calling themselves a Christian when they were acting in a sinful way because I know that personality and I was afraid of, you know, maybe maybe they aren't going to take it well. A um, couple things to remind um, ourselves is one, like 
God calls us to be faithful. And whether what they think of us or not is not going to change your identity in Christ. They can't take away how God views you or loves you. Um, and then practically, you know, if they reject your lovingly correction or calling out of their sinful lifestyle, you know, um, if you were here last year, we went over First Corinthians and we talked about the dude who was sleeping with his uh, father's wife in a super messed up situation in 1 Corinthians 5. If you were here last year, we talked about this situation. And Paul basically says, treat that person as an unbeliever if they're not going to receive correction. If they're boasting about it, they're not repenting of their sin, they're boasting, they're being prideful of their sin, treat them as if they're an unbeliever because obviously what they're proclaiming doesn't line up with how they're actually living. And so it, it can be easy for us to address somebody. They reject our loving kindness and calling them out um, with truth and grace. They reject it. They make fun of us. It can be easy for us to be like, oh, I just can't even stand. Like, I'm not even going to go near you. I think rather God calls us to view them as an unbeliever in the way that Jesus would and be like, you know, I want, I feel sorry for you. Like, I want to continue to share the gospel with you. Because obviously you don't understand God's word. You don't understand what it means to live for Jesus. So I'm actually, instead of drawing away from you, I'm actually going to pray for you. I'm going to pursue you and share the gospel to you because obviously you don't understand it. And that's what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians of like treating them as an unbeliever. It's basically like, yeah, you need a witness to them. Like, because they're not living what they're proclaiming. Kyle, did you have a hand up or no? Yeah, no. Okay, sorry, I thought I saw a hand up. Yeah, right, we got time for maybe like yeah, one question. One more. Yeah, but like Galatians six one says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, we have an obligation. Right. So if, if Kent sees something in my life, and I'm a professing believer, right? I claim to, to know Christ as my Savior. Now here's the thing. We're all going to struggle with sin. We are, right? We have this flesh that we're going to battle. But the Scripture is very clear. If Kent sees something in my life that should not be there, Paul very clearly says he is to uh, restore me in a spirit of gentleness Right? Again, not coming at me, bashing me over the head with the Bible, but bringing Scripture to it, but helping me walk through what is my heart, my unbelief, what is the deep-rooted unbelief in my heart at that moment that's causing me to live in that. Okay? We have that obligation. We can't just look at that and be like, you know what, well, sorry, I'll pray for you. Okay? Now, I think you need to be prayerful about that, I think you need to trust the Spirit to help bring conviction. I don't have time to get into a big story about that. But we do need to lovingly help restore others, right? Because it is gospel, it's gospel kingdom work, right? The last thing I want is for people in the world to go, oh, well, you call yourself a believer, but man, you're a hypocrite, okay? That's weird. Oh, my son Dixon's calling me. Sorry. I'm looking in the mirror like, oh, man, no. So, okay. All right. Uh, one more question. 
Sorry. You guys had some great questions. What does discipleship mean, and how do I become a disciple, and what does it mean by using the power of the gospel? Okay? I'll give my quick answer, and then Kent can jump in. Discipleship is leading others to increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay, let me say that again. Discipleship is leading others to uh, increasingly submit all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus. Matthew 28, this was another one. What is the Great Commission? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Right? Now, I'm a firm believer that it's not evangelism and then discipleship. Okay, people say, oh, yeah, well, let's go evangelize, and then we'll start discipling people. No, evangelism is part of the discipleship process. That's all part of it. Okay? So when I say to make disciples, part of that is I, I proclaim the gospel, <laughs> right, to, to people so that they can hopefully, by the Spirit of God, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. But then I continue to walk with them, okay? I continue to study God's Word together. I continue to speak the gospel to one another. I continue to allow the gospel to be spoken into my own life. But it's a every day I'm going to intentionally walk with you in helping you to become like Christ. Okay? That's proximity. Life, how I live my life, how I speak Christ into that. That's a short answer. So, Yeah, so to follow that up, I, uh, I, like, I looked up certain words, certain grammar, because words are important. And so when I talk about what is a disciple, basic definition is a follower. Yep. Okay? Uh, here's the reality, and, and discipleship is the state of being a follower of something. It's, it, it's the, it's yeah, it's the act of, of following or this identity of a follower of. Mm -hmm. So here's the reality: each of you follow something or someone. Mm -hmm. Like e each of you follow people, or try to um, be an example like someone else, or follow someone else's example or uh, whatever, whatever you may call it. Uh, as an athlete, uh, what's in season right now? Wrestling. Is wrestling in season, Cade? Yeah. Basketball's also in season. Who in here is currently in a winter sport? Anybody? Okay. How do you know what to do? Who do you follow as an athlete? Coach. Coach is an example. Yep. How many of you have a favorite professional athlete that you try to model how you play or how you compete after? Yeah, can all of you kind of maybe think of a player, a professional athlete, or someone who does your sport really, really good, and you're like, I, I want to I be that person. You're following that person. Whether you know it or not, like, you're following that person's example. You could almost say that you're a disciple of so-and-so because you're trusting that what they're teaching you is is good for you to follow. Okay, so a disciple, general definition, broad definition, just means to be a follower of something or somebody. And discipleship is that state of being the follower. Okay, so when we're talking about the Great Commission, what is the Great Commission? Commission is just a word for command. And so Jesus' command is to go make disciples 
of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I, being Jesus, have commanded. So, who are you following when you're following the Great Commission, following Jesus, and you're telling others to also follow Jesus? Now, there was another question in this document that ties into this. The question is, why should I trust God? I think that's what was the question, is why can I trust God? So, it goes into this question of how can I be a disciple? Well, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, first you have to trust that God is good and that you trust God to follow him. You're trusting Jesus as Savior of your life. You're trusting that what he said and did was real, that when he said he died on the cross for your sins, you're trusting that that's real, that he actually died on the cross to forgive your sins. And you're saying, I trust in him as Lord of my life. I'm trusting in him to follow him. I'm trusting so that when he tells me to do something or go somewhere, that I'm going to follow his commands or his direction. When the Holy Spirit nudges me, as Victoria said earlier, nudges me or gives me direction, I'm going to follow because I'm trusting that he is good. And so that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is that I'm trusting him. And why can I trust Jesus? Because of what he did on the cross. It's the ultimate picture of love. And so to be a disciple means I trust him accept his sacrifice, I follow him as Lord of my life, I trust him. Because what he did happened, it was real, and it showed his ultimate love for me, for you. And that's something you can trust in, is God's love for you. And now, I know sometimes in your present circumstances, it doesn't seem that you like you can trust God. It doesn't seem like everything that, that God really does love you. you. In our present situation, sometimes it can blind us to what the reality that God has shown throughout time that he actually does indeed love you. Because when we see a present circumstance that's not what we think is loving, sometimes that distracts us from the entire history that we see God actually showing his love. And because we're blinded by our present circumstance, sometimes we don't see how he's actually loving us presently and working in our lives. And so, to be a disciple is to trust God. To make disciples is to share about Jesus, to help others become followers and disciples of Jesus by showing his love that we know through his word and we can trust his word. We've talked about that previously this semester and to show them that God has designed them to be in a relationship with him. That's what we share. That's what we try to get people to know, understand, and follow. Okay? And that he's our greatest treasure, guys and girls. If I leave you with anything, you, you, you can pursue anything that the world is, you think is going to give to you, and it's going to lead to death. It's going to lead to death. There's only one thing that leads to life, and that is Christ. And that's what we want to continue to point each other to. And it doesn't mean, like, you know, Victoria was pointing out, it doesn't mean that everything in this life is going to be easy. Job went through great difficulty. Again, not, you know, it, it, it's not because of Job's sin. Satan picked a fight with God, right? Actually, God picked the fight with Satan. Said, hey, look at my servant Job. Look at how righteous he is. And Satan goes, the only reason Job is serving you is because you're giving him all the goods, God. Take everything away and he'll curse you to your face. Right? Life is going to be hard. You're going to have difficult days. 
But you can trust yourself and you can trust the world, which leads to death, or you can trust Christ and his word and know that there is a greater hope coming, right, in Christ, as we've talked about that the, the, the future reality of the gospel, right, is that there is a future kingdom that is coming in which there will be no sin, pain, death, whatever. And we choose to like live this life for his glory and honor, which leads to life, right? right? Joy in life. Eternal life because of faith in Christ Jesus. That's why we trust God, right? It's because we are made right with him. And we experience that life, that everlasting life, right? I was talking with my nephew today. My nephew's here visiting us because he's made some really poor decisions. And, you know, we were talking today and I just said, you are choosing death. <laughs> you are choosing what you think is going to give you life. And he said, Uncle Dave, I know I am. Because it's foolish, right? So thanks for letting me come and be a part of these four weeks. Really thankful for that. You have, if you have more questions... Um, feel free to pull me aside sometime and whatnot. I hope, I know with the video tonight and all that kind of stuff, I hope that, that you'll be able to take those just and, and that fruit in your life, that, that negative fruit can be anything. It can be gossip, it can be lying, it can be fear, it can be anxiousness, it can be rebellion, it can be disrespect to my parents. Anything that you see that's negative fruit in your life, work through like what is the underlying unbelief and then how do i believe in the gospel right in the truth of who god is and what he's done through christ jesus and in changing behavior that's what we want to be about not just you know stop it <laughs> right we don't want to be about behavior modification it needs to change with the heart and helping us to see what the heart is so thanks yeah. thanks for letting me be a part of it Ten tonight i know we're running really late small yep. group leaders we're not gonna have time to pray in our small groups um but we want to thank Pastor Dave Wolf. Um, he's been here four Sunday nights um, out of the last five Sunday nights. Uh, this is uh, something that he uh, was willing to do to come here to teach, to create four lessons, to get a lot of handouts into you guys' hands, to help you guys uh, to live more like Christ and to be grounded in the love of the gospel. Um, you know, his main responsibility at the church is not youth ministry. You know, that's more my area. He you know, leads worship Sunday mornings, does a lot through the week with community groups and getting worship ready and, and a lot of other responsibilities. And he gave up four Sunday evenings um, of his time to be away from family, to spend time with us. So thank you for giving your attention to him. And let's give a big round of applause for Dave and uh, just thank him for teaching. Um, in doing so, we're giving him a hype shirt. Hopefully you wear it well. And then a gift card to breakers as well because you know who doesn't love a good turkey bacon avocado i think it's one of dave's favorites every time we go there for staff lunch yeah yes uh i'm gonna close tonight in praying for our group praying for pastor dave um so if you would please uh, bow your heads and pray with me god thank you for tonight thank you for all the leaders and students who are here um god you None of this has happened by accident. You have people here with a purpose. God, that people didn't just so happen to walk through the door. God, in your knowledge and in your sovereignty, you had people here tonight to hear the truth of the gospel that you love us, that you desire to be in a deep relationship with us. And God, also the truth that we 
struggle with sin. Like, God, that we need to be reminded of who you are because so often we are prone to, uh, to unbelief. We are prone to not believing all of who you are. We are prone to wanting to be in control. We're, we're prone to, to wanting to be Adam and Eve in our own lives. And so thank you for tonight and the truth that, um, one, that we are saved from uh, God, that the penalty of sin, that we no longer are in condemnation, that we can be in a right relationship with you, God, that we're safe from the power of sin, that we don't have to say yes to our flesh, God, that we can say no to our flesh and say yes to you, that we can uh, do practices like fruit to root to expose sin in our lives, acknowledge it, repent of it, turn to you and, and have that sin taken away and that you no longer remember it that we can enjoy sweet fellowship with you. And God, that one day, our hope is that one day that we will be with you free from the presence of sin. We don't have to worry about battling it. God, that we can worship you wholeheartedly in a perfect um, place that uh, we can just be in your glory and in your presence forever and ever. So thank you for the truths that we heard tonight. God, I just want to pray for Dave. Pastor Dave, thank you for giving him the words to speak these four Sunday nights that he's been at Hype. God, I pray for him just in his marriage and him as a father to his children. God, I pray that you would continue to encourage him uh, and give him just the grace to be able to love his family well. And as he uh, continues to minister here at Crosspoint, shepherd uh, families and lead us uh, in, in a way to worship you, God, I pray that you would just continue to build him up, encourage him, um, and conform him to the image of Christ and remind him of who he is in you. God, we love you. We serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.